0: Watch this, space, episode five, sleep stalking.
1: Welcome to Watch This, Space, where we dive through the airlock of reality and into the universe of speculative cinema to look at what was and what could be. I'm Alan Williams. And I'm Paul French. And today we're going a little further afield of standard science fiction by looking at the 1920 German expressionist classic, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Paul, what do you know about sleepwalking?
0: (sighs) Um, oh, sorry. What? Sorry. What, what, what do I know about sleepwalking? Oh, yeah, well, w- w-
1: wake up, Paul. Wake up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. The um, my most recent sort of thought on this is. Um, we were talking a bit before we started recording about how I took the kids to the uh, to the drive in on the weekend. And uh, and we saw Flash followed by um, the uh, Across the Spider-Verse. And um, fantastic double feature, by the way. Um, but Sarah fell asleep part like really in the last sort of uh, for uh, you know half hour, thirty minutes or forty minutes of um, of of Flash, and you know had you know put the drink tray down in the back and had used that as a pillow and was all kind of uh, asleep on one side. And um, so in between movies, I just went back and I just you know, woke her up and uh, and I said, do you, you know, do you need to, do you need to use the bathroom? And, uh, and she was, uh, and then she got up and, uh, and I said to, to, to my older daughter, it's like, okay, take her to the bathroom. Just maybe just like hold her hand just because this car is moving around and she's still kind of out of it. And so off they go into the building where, where the snack bar is and the bathrooms. And, um, And they get in there and and she doesn't remember anything that happened um, from sort of, uh, um, you you know, until that last half hour of uh, of the movie. And then the next thing she knows, uh, she's standing in the middle of the snack bar and is like, how did how did I get here? and uh and so we were just we you know she and i were joking about ah you 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 totally so you were totally sleepwalking and um, i mean i i don't know that she was i think it was just kind of that disorientation and it didn't sort of clear up until then but uh but yeah so i don't have much personal experience with sleepwalking um i tend to when i go to sleep i just I just sleep. And, um, and I am uh, one of those people who is blessed to be able to sleep in any situation. And, um, uh, you know, it's like, I could, I think if I put the right effort into it, I could fall asleep standing up. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and never have any, I never have any trouble getting to sleep either. And unless I've got an alarm set for the in the morning, then it's like, I, I can't go to sleep. or if the alarm goes off, um, and, uh, and so, uh, but it was just a funny little thing about sleepwalking that, that Sarah mentioned this week. So that's what I've got. How about yourself?
1: Did we start yet?
0: Uh, you I must've been I'm
1: are sleep sleep podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I have, Yeah, I don't have much experience with sleepwalking either, but, um, I do have one incident. And that is that once I woke up, well, this is when I was a teenager. Uh-huh. I woke up um and I was like literally on the floor next to the toilet. My stomach was was in very I was going through some very sharp pains in the stomach. Yeah. I, I hear mom asking if I'm okay. Yeah. And then I don't remember anything else. And and two weeks later, we're getting we're getting ready to leave the um we're leaving a restaurant halfway home. I said, Oh my God, I forgot my retainer. (laughs) Mom said your retainer. Dad stepped on that and broke it two weeks ago. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You took it out before that night when you were really sick and throwing up in the toilet. I'm like, what? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember where we went to eat that, that time um, or what it was, but it was something that just disagreed with my stomach when I was like 13, 14.
0: Uh huh. So.
1: Yeah, and it's like, oh, and there went the retainer. We never, and we never bothered to replace it because my teeth were fine by then. But yeah, it's just one of those. Oh, I did what? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, because like the, the the only things I remember going to sleep, waking up, and I'm I'm right there next to the toilet, and then, bam! I'm waking up in the morning. Right. That's why I thought it was all a dream.
0: Yeah, that's And
1: crazy. it was not. Well, there you have so, it. But of course, the movie that we're talking about today, it's technically sort of not a sleepwalking story, but we'll get into that later.
0: Absolutely.
1: Let's start with a little background about the uh, about the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. The movie was written by uh, Hans Janowitz and Carl Meyer, and... At least one version of the explanation behind you know why they wanted to write this. They were both pacifists. Um, one of them the they started writing this in like 1918, wrote it over the course of 1918 and 1919. So this is just after World War One. Um, and one of them did serve um see I can't remember I think it was Janovitz uh, served in of course what what's the one thing I forget to write down is who did which part here. Yanovitz uh, mm-hmm. wrote, um, I believe it's Yanovitz who served in the German army, came out of it very bitter and disillusioned and became a pacifist as a result. Um, Meyer was already a pacifist and he faked mental illness to get out of uh, to get out of going into the army, and I right. guess his, and if I remember right, his experience in the mental institutions um, and the abuses going on there at the time partially informed the story that they eventually came up with. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so the, the supposedly, you know, that the story denounces, as they put it, Denouncing arbitrary authority as brutal and insane, but again, there's some debate on that and whether that was really their intention. We'll get into that a little more yeah, later. Yeah, for sure. But the films, um, the film's plot, there were it was inspired by several events, including the ones I already mentioned. But there are a couple of them that really stand out. One of them is a circus sideshow that they saw in Hamburg called uh, Man or Machine where a right. man performed great feats of strength after he would become hypnotized. And then I and then also that um Janowitz believed he saw a murder take place. Um in 1913 uh this is uh and this is near an amusement park. Right. Uh he believed he, he saw A couple. There, there are two accounts of this uh, that I found. One of them on YouTube. One of them written, and one of them just says he saw a woman, a young woman, disappear into the bushes. Another version says he saw um, a couple disappear into the bushes, and that later, um, and that later another man goes in there after the first man leaves. And oh, the other version is just the other version is just that he saw a woman disappear in the bushes, and then a respectable-looking man emerges a few moments later. Either way, he found out after that, uh, like the next day, the the young girl, the young woman, was found murdered. And apparently, when he wow. went to when he went to the funeral, that man he saw coming out of the bushes was at the funeral. Wow. So yeah, so that's that's where they. That is a set of events that inspired them to create this very unusual film, particularly unusual for its time. Yeah. Now the cat this is um a lot of a lot of times you hear this term thrown around, and I've already used it, that it's a German expressionist film. Yeah. I found a great description of that. But uh Paul, before I do that, Paul, what what's your impression of what Uh, expressionism is?
0: Um, I look at it as sort of a, a, and, and, and this is completely not having looked it up is just, I I look at it as being a way of, um, um, it kind of like a, a, you know, expressionist paintings where it is, um, it is all about sort of, uh, showing, showing an emotion in the art. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so this is more, uh, a meditation on a particular feeling or set of feelings as opposed to a story that is, you know, here's beginning, middle and end. Um, and, and I don't know if that's the definition at all. It's just how I've always perceived it.
1: Oh, no, that's actually pretty close. Um, here's what I found, uh, on a site called studio binder, Uh, this is a, a direct quote, German Expressionism is a particular artistic style that first appeared in poetry and theater around 1910. It became popular in films 10 years later after World War I. It comes partly from German Romanticism and gives a subjective view of the world. It visualizes a country's collective anxiety through distorted and nightmarish imagery. Expressionists had little interest in their work being aesthetically pleasing. The style flourished after the horrors of World War One and the inevitable economic devastation that followed. So, in the this this was, yeah, th- this was Weimar Germany. Um, okay, you know the, this basically, the films, the the main German expressionist films start with uh, our everything I've ever read says they basically start with Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and end with Metropolis
0: fascinating yeah. i i think i, I think it interesting because you know i i have always sort of looked at the idea of expressionism in film sort of like the french new wave stuff right like uh um, you know godard and and uh, and sort of those those folks but
1: mm-hmm.
0: what, what i find interesting is that in the case of of um of german expressionism there is a, an inherent germanic portion of that and um you know it's the old fraser joke about uh, what's what's the word uh what's the word in german for lighthearted there isn't one um, <laughs> um but i also think of it as as <laughs> and and uh this idea where where people are like um you know the the, the people you hear use the word socialism the most are the yeah. people who don't understand what it means and right. so they'll, they'll be like yeah but the nazis they were socialists see see and it's cuz it was the national socialist uh uh party and it's like uh, but that was not socialism that was national socialism it's right. a different thing, and and that's the same thing here. Is that it is not expressionism; it is German expressionism. It is uh, it, it you know part of it is as much expressing right. their Germanic state, and mm-hmm. uh, and and um. You know, and sort of the situation that they found themselves in, and I find this fascinating because that's not what I might have expected.
1: Yeah, German Expressionism. um, For me, the best way of describing is it's like cyberpunk in that it had to capture a zeitgeist of
0: yes, uh, right.
1: You know, the the zeitgeist of that particular moment. And in that particular moment, there was this sort of, you know, there. there was, you know, Germany had been through a night a nightmare. Yeah. Um the rep, the war reparations as far as World War One went were were extremely severe. Yeah. And and Germany found itself increasingly in debt. Um and they at the time they also didn't have much of a film much of a film industry. It was always these these little independent films that never really went anywhere. Um which I found out that this is one of the first films that actually made a splash internationally.
0: You know, this reminds me of something uh, I remember in the fifth grade. um, And again, this kind of comes back to something we talked about uh, pre-recording as. uh, I um, remember reading William Shirer's book, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Mm hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, I was just fascinated by, um, um, uh, you know, I remember in like fourth grade having, or third grade, having done a project on, um, on, uh, world war one and world war two. And, um, and then I remember in the fifth grade, like we had this, this rise and fall of the third Reich in the, uh, in the school library. And, um, read, you know, read through this, uh, you know, when we would have sort of uh silent reading time. And, uh, and I remember like having a discussion with my, with my teacher about this book and, uh, you know, how it's, you know, I've, I've, I've heard of this, this guy, Hitler. And, uh, I mean, it doesn't, I said, this book doesn't, uh, make him out to be a nice guy and nor should they, but there were parts of it where, uh, and you know, what I, you know, where, where they want to make you feel bad for him. And, 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 and so I was like, you know, parts of, of it where, um, they tried to make him a sympathetic character to a certain degree. And one of the things was about, you know, going to, uh, in post-World War I Germany, going to, uh, uh, going to the movies and, uh, and this was where he, uh, you know, started his sort of rampant anti-Semitism. And, uh, but it was, it talked about going to these movie houses that were run by, by Jews. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so when I think about it, like this, uh, era of, um, of, of German expressionism was one of the things that kind of in, in a very indirect way, uh, gave rise to, uh, to what he was doing. Um, yes. You, you know, and it's, it, 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 this is, this is fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. This, this was a time period. Um, the, if, if you look at, at what was going on in Germany at the time, um, a good, something else to look at, although this takes, you know, this is a few years later is to, is look at cabaret, the, the musical. Oh, Willkommen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's welcome. Um, God.
0: that's the original, <laughs> that original movie, like the, uh, the, you know, Joel gray movie. God, uh-huh. I love
1: that so much. Yeah. That, that was a, that was a fun one because, um, because PJ had never seen it. He said, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to watch. I don't like, I don't like the idea of the movie. Our TV went out and I was telling him about a scene. Yeah. I had actually used a scene from cabaret to teach, um, to teach about bias and in, uh, my in the class at the first year composition classes, I was doing that that semester. So he got, I I showed him that scene and then he started backing up and watching more of it. I was laughing because he was like, because now it's one of his favorite. It's one of his favorites.
0: Oh, it's so amazing. (laughs) I remember, I remember when I was, I first saw it when I was maybe 10 years old. Um, Mm -hmm. actually probably pretty much the same year that I was reading this book by, by the way. Um, when a friend and I discovered that we could, uh, rent the, uh, or we could sign out a, a, um, a video disc player, not a laser uh-huh. disc player. No, no. Those were years later. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. A, a video disc player that had these uh, sort those? of big cartridges and oh, uh,
1: those, yeah.
0: And this is how I saw <laughs> Wrath of Khan um, uh huh. We rented like Wrath of Khan. We rent uh, or signed out again the library. Um, right. we signed out uh Wrath of Khan, um, Cabaret, The Verdict with uh, like uh, Paul Newman. Um, uh huh. There's a, a hell of a collection of movies at 10. Yeah, that's uh, um, <laughs> that
1: that's quite a collection,
0: or I guess it had to have been a Uh, no, we had to be, been 12 because, uh, um, Wrath of Khan. Mm -hmm.
1: Um,
0: right. So, uh, so anyway, but it was uh, a collection of movies and I, and I remember even thinking at the time as we're watching Cabaret, it's like, this might be a bit beyond me, yeah. but I still loved it so much. Well,
1: Uh. I, I, yeah, you, you you're about like me. I mean, I was twelve. My brothers took me uh, to see The Shining when I was twelve, right? Like, when it first came out, <clears throat> mom wasn't paying that budget. Uh, my mom trusted my brothers, and my brothers knew what, what I could handle. So,
0: and where and were we, you
1: in the batting order? I was third of four boys.
0: Fifth, yeah, fifth of, I mean, fifth I of know. Sixth.
1: I know Fifth how much leeway children. we,
0: yeah. I know yeah. how much leeway we live to our second child. Um, yeah, so it's like, <laughs> yeah.
1: It, it, my my designation would be five of six. <laughs> um, yeah, I was second youngest. My brothers were were nine and thirteen years older than me, and my sisters were even older than that. So wow, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so my my older brothers took my younger brother who was eight at the time and yeah. me um, to see the Shining. So nice. we, we, we were, used, we were used to seeing things like that when you were, um, and like, when you were
0: talking about the drive-through yeah. or the drive-in rather, the which drive-in. is funny because we often make that, that distinction of the drive-through versus the drive-in. And mm-hmm. Ella came in to me the day before we were going and said, are we going to go and see the movie of the drive-through tomorrow? And it's like, Oh, honey, the, the, you know, seeing a movie at the drive through, it takes a long time. You got to keep circling around, <laughs> circling around. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> we used to, um, my brothers would take us when there uh, a lot of times, uh, on the weekends when at least the drive-ins around, around Peoria had triple features. Yeah. And we were usually falling asleep by, th- by the time of that third feature. Oh, I, I, sometimes, I, mean, I take my like kids the there on movies. a, on
0: a Friday night after I've been working all day. Mm. Guaranteed. I am asleep uh, for a good chunk of that second movie. And, um, you know, and it's like, I mean, Hey, hey you know, I, I'll like have the window open and I'm just like, uh, huh and, um, you know, I'm sleep stalking and, um, See what I did there? Um, yeah, 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 and um, and certainly like a, a second, you know, watching the second movie. I mean, I I was caffeinated enough uh, as uh, Spider Verse came on, and then the Spider Verse ness of it uh, right. carried me along. Uh, but um, oh yeah, but certainly like of- the idea of a third movie. Are you freaking kidding me? Most um, people I
1: know left would leave after the after the second movie. Yeah. um sometimes we would stay and we would see at least the beginning of it and decide if it was too cheesy to keep watching. And about I was half surprised the time how many we'd fall asleep on the way home. Yeah.
0: And I was surprised how many people uh left before the Spider-Verse movie. And it was like, <clears throat> Yeah, really? Um, it's Weird. like, boy, they they hated that Clooney joke. Oh man. Yeah. Um <laughs>
1: <laughs> so <laughs> But anyway, but um, yeah, but but let's wait, let us wake back the, up the discussion about the about the film by saying it's also one of the first films that employed um, a twist ending by using a frame uh, by using a frame tale.
0: Yes, and, yes.
1: You know the the frame tale is nothing new. I mean, go back to Frankenstein. Go back to Frankenstein in uh, Mary Shelley's original novel yes absolutely it's a, it's a frame tale because they find it's the story of somebody fi- of this you know ship finding victor uh, victor frankenstein dying out there in the arctic um and ends you know and then the rest is you know and then the stories told in flashback and then it ends bringing it back up to the present with the creature basically bidding farewell um and taking frankenstein's name well
0: Can I just say for a moment here, uh, you saying that using the term frame tale, I was like, wait a second. Do I know this term? Um, And uh, and of course I do, because as a loyal comic book reader, uh, I remember, um, um, uh, you know, Levitz, you know, just after the. great darkness saga you you telling his story about why green lanterns were no longer allowed on earth um mm-hmm. there was a thing where it was like you know uh keith giffen and larry malstead framing sequence and um mm-hmm. you know where it was basically sort of wraparound to the story yeah and uh and it was it's like oh my gosh so yeah you know i mean i that's where i learned that term and this again get takes me back to where it's like yeah comics teach you uh, teach you so much
1: definitely
0: about, uh, about, about narrative and different styles and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I'm always uh, grateful for the way that they, uh, credited such things so that it's like, you know, to me, that's always a framing sequence. And, uh, and so love, love, uh, love hearing that this, uh, this actually goes back a far longer way.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember, um, an issue early issue of infinity incorporated where uh, roy thomas did the same thing yeah. where he set up the story but then it's a literally reproduced um the story from flash comics where hawkman first meets the Fy- the Fyther- fytherins i think they're called yeah um, yeah, um, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: uh Nor does people yeah does yeah northwind's people um but uh yeah so th- this is one of those th- this is a frame tale in the, nice. uh and and so the majority of the story is a flashback, but then there's a twist ending that are, that apparently wasn't what the writers originally had planned. Uh, originally, Yanovitz uh, and Meyer wanted to wanted the story to be told as they put it, kind of in a straightforward manner. Right. Um, there there was a copy of the script that was recovered uh, decades later, and. It's missing the final pages, so we don't know how the frame tale would have ended, but there was a frame oh, tale attached to it. But the frame tale was literally um was literally the the main two characters, the the hero and the romantic interest talking um at a party. Uh they're hosting a party and somebody asked them to retell the story of something that had happened to them 20 years earlier. Oh. So it was going to be presented as this is a real story. This is not. Okay, spoiler Great. warning for anybody. If you want to, uh, if you want to continue listening, you will probably hear this spoiled several times. But it's a movie that's over a hundred years old. So I'm going to tell you now. Yeah. <clears throat> the twist ending is that they're they're in an insane asylum, and that the person, the person who is supposedly the um, the evil Doctor Caligari is the director of the asylum, and mm. everything has been told from the point of view of a character who is himself one of the patients. Uh-huh. And so, uh-huh, and it's so it's great in that the frame an un-
0: unreliable of, narrator kind of thing.
1: exactly you yeah you read my mind this. Yeah. Is, that this is not only um, a good example of a frame tale, you know, it's like one of the first examples we have of frame tales with a plot twist at the end in a film, but also an, unreli- uh, an unreliable narrator in the film. Yeah. Because you come away from this thing, but wait, what was the truth? What's you know, you, you come away actually thinking, oh, this is you know, this guy's nuts. It's a it's a little more cut and dried than maybe some of the frame tales that you might see. Um, You know, down the line, and think about the number of times that you've seen a film where somebody, where where you're walking away questioning somebody's sanity. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, this this takes me back to something like, um, you know, a, uh, um, you know, um, uh, 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 Gilliam's Baron uh, Munchausen. Uh-huh. Right? Like this idea of the uh the unreliable uh narrator. And to take me back to um uh to John Byrne again is he used to set talk about this was the, the uh the idea, but was you there, Charlie? Uh-huh. You know, where it's like the guy who's saying, Well, this is the story, right? And it's like, yes, but was you there?
1: Yeah, it's um and yeah, it's funny you mentioned Adventures of Bear Munchausen, because I was just thinking of Brazil. Yeah. Brazil itself is, you know, that um, doesn't have, it, it's a pretty straightforward story, but yeah. the end of it, the end of it and discovering how, uh, discovering the twist <laughs> at the end of that film, um, or Shyamalan, uh, Shyamalan's films Yeah, do this with a with twist endings they don't do it frame tales but they do but they do that twist ending um like the yeah. village i think was the oh name yeah of it, where yeah where it turned out it was a present day the whole time or i see or you know when haley joel osmond sees dead people
0: yeah so but to but me that, that's uh, yeah i mean they're all um what's the word for it they're all kind of uh they all kind of uh <clears throat> pale next to that i mean uh you do yeah. get uh um you know because it is the purest of them um right. it is it is a okay this is an ending that makes me look at it differently because now there's a different you know this right. came out um maybe three years after uh the usual suspects and i remember mm-hmm. you, you know at the end of um the usual suspects, where people were like, "Yeah, so now, now that you know what how it how it ends, now watch it again and see how uh, how different it is." And it's like, "Well, no, it's not, because right. this is unreliable narrator. This is someone right. telling a story that never happened. So it is not something where you know it, it is literally. There is a scene where they outline like." here's where he got all of these phrases from and you literally right. have chaz mount Mal- palmentary sitting there as these all play out in his mind and um and and it's like the movie the narrative of the movie is not any different by going back and looking at this because it is all a lie uh, right. and uh, the difference is at the end of this we learn that it is a lie and with whereas with um um six sense now it's like okay now look at the now knowing what you know at the end of that go back and 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 watch it and realize oh wow that was really clever and, Yeah, you know and and that's there's a big a, a huge gulf between those kind of things and i remember people trying to conflate the two and uh and it's not and this that's yeah. you know and and it and like again uh, yeah, I, and I and I sometimes conflate the movie uh, Baron Munchausen with reading the book. And, you mm-hmm. know, but that idea, and, and I think the, uh, but what but you say, Charlie, was actually more in the book. Um, right. 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 Because it is it is um, someone saying, but Baron, it didn't happen this way. And he says, oh, bless you there? And it's like, well, it doesn't matter if you were there, if you're lying to me. Right. Um, and uh, and and so, uh, you know, I, th- there's there's a um, the the idea of unreliable narrator isn't necessarily a. Um, it is not a narrow definition because right. um there there are well. lots of ways that that can go and oh, yeah. uh, and that's what's really interesting about this is it does it does change your perspective on the movie but it is more in the um in the verbal kint way uh in yeah. that um you know it is not like, oh well, now examine the the exact same events through these eyes. No, it's not that. It is uh, it is like, wait a second, none of this was true.
1: Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, it's, yeah. It, this is definitely much more, much more like the usual suspects, and it is the sixth sense in terms of of the plot twist at the end. It's like there there are no clues here. There are no clues that give away yeah they give away the ending um no you get to the ending and suddenly it's like holy crap you know well uh um, no so this idea. is all yeah yeah now that twist Ye- ending yeah that twist ending actually drew some um drew some criticism there's a, a famous uh, a famous theorist well cinema cinema theorist named siegfried yeah. krakauer wrote a book called from caligari to hitler Um, which by the way, I just ordered, I just ordered a copy of. (laughs) Excellent.
0: That's quite a line to draw.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, he, he felt, um, but it had to do with the, the, um, the fact that he felt like the twist ending undermined the anti authoritarian nature of the main story. Now, uh, not everybody reads the story. And again, as intention. I
0: said, this is where a lot yeah. of uh, Hitler's ideas came from. Is was going to movie houses and um, yeah, wow, yeah. That's and fascinating. So,
1: some of it, if if you think of it this way, German expression films could be said to draw on uh, because they drew on that cultural anxiety of Weimar Germany. It right. Gave Hitler yeah. at least knowledge of what to play to. Um,
0: frightening, terrifying. Yes. Yeah
1: but and but it, you should one of the things about um, Krakauer's argument is that not everybody agrees that the story's intentionally anti-authoritarian. Um, Jan, Janovitz himself in an interview in 1941, said it was only years after the film was released that he realized that um, he had a, that he and uh, Meyer had this subconscious intent to expose the authoritar- authoritative power of an inhuman state however a film historian named David Robinson um going through this notes that the, that this recollection you know the, this idea of his may be maybe a change in the response you know he may be change- his memories may be affected by, the responses that later interpretations of the film had Uh, kind of like there was a, a woman named Karen Blair, I think a woman, well, a person named Karen Blair who wrote uh, a book called meaning in Star Trek back in the seventies and Roddenberry, came to it saying, yes, this is what I, what I was thinking all along. I just didn't know how to put it. I didn't know um, what terms to put it in.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah that's,
1: that's, a, that's, a, that's a, yeah, that's a easy to say and easy to buy into, but at the same time, uh, it's kind of like when i it's kind of like some of the early uh, stories of George Lucas creating star Wars that, that kind of went, the that, that's undergone
0: quite an evolution over the decades. Yes. Um, yes, the so, story has changed many times.
1: Yes, um or Groucho Marx, um depending on when when you asked him his favorite Marx Brothers movie would change with the times. When duck soup became uh, he used to hate yeah. duck soup, but when duck soup became a big uh, a big deal yeah. in the uh, in the late 60s early 70s because of its anti-authoritarian anarchist nature, yeah. he would always, he started saying that was his favorite film of the, of the Brothers. Very shows.
0: interesting. Uh, but there's, there's an, an aspect to it where, Hey, um, um, like I, I, go back to, uh, to the Beatles and, uh, where, mm-hmm. where, uh, they talked about a, um, what was it? A, uh, like, like, a, a review, um, where it talked about the the Aeolian cadences in uh, It Won't Be Long. And he's like, mm-hmm. is that what we were doing? Um, you know, because yeah. it was just a, yeah, we just did a thing that we thought sounded good. Um, and so it was where yeah. someone tried to ascribe too much meaning to what they did. And they were like, uh, uh, you know, and it was like, oh they they use these aeolian cadences, and you know, clearly like, musical geniuses, and they're like, we did. Eh, we just did a thing that we thought sounded cool,
1: yeah <laughs> and I find that that's kind of that's usually the most um the most authentic answer that you can hope for and you know when people do that, but yeah, I'll give you so I'll like in this case, um I would give I would give Janovitz Benefit of the doubt and saying it particularly if what he he said wasn't, oh, I realize this years later, but rather, you know, listening to everybody talk about it, that probably was a subconscious thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like that wasn't my intent, but maybe maybe that was my understanding. Right. Imprinting.
1: Yeah. I can't. It's like I, I get why he's saying subconscious intention. So he's, he's kind of giving himself it out there, but I think it's because
0: we're hearing things and this was it. Like, you know, the Beatles doing, uh, these aeolian cadences, they were just like, yeah, we'd heard stuff in like classical music. And we thought that was kind of cool. Maybe we can use that idea. Um, and so it wasn't, maybe it maybe wasn't as deliberate. Mm. -hmm as, uh, as was ascribed, but, you know, was still like a, Hey, it's me absorbing the, again, the zeitgeist, right. It's like me right. absorbing what is happening in the world around me and, and expressing it. Oh, there's that word. Um, Oh, that word. <laughs> yes. Oh my word. Um, yeah, I think that again, it, it, it's, that's a different perspective to take on it. And and it and it again goes with that whole idea of um you know un, unreliable narrator and mm-hmm. uh oh, and it I love comes, it. Yeah.
1: And it comes back to and it also goes back to that uh to the the whole idea of you know post-World War One Germany and expressing that that anxiety and also expressing um how that anxiety that um it, how the war distorted so many viewpoints um there's a uh alex Barrett uh a few years ago, literally on the 100th anniversary of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, wrote uh, this about it. And I think this is um, <clears throat> this is an interesting thing. For a country still darkened by the shadow of war, the yeah. on-screen deaths couldn't help but recall those of the battlefield. And later critics would point towards Cesare as a stand-in for the brave young soldiers who were sent to fight, uh, kill, and die at the behest yeah. of the callous government. Still with the war at an end, international territories began lifting their restrictions on screening German films, and Caligari benefited from the fortuitous timing of its release – Furthermore, earlier films such as The Gollum had all references to German origins removed when playing in allied countries like America. Uh-huh. As such, Caligari, as an identifiably German film, became a trailblazer for the German industry as a whole. So, I mean, Amazing. the whole world, yeah, this is one of, like I uh, I, I had said it earlier, that this rose to international, uh, international prominence. And this mm-hmm. is, you know, part of it is because it's, capturing what i consider to be a universal experience anybody who sent out onto a battlefield yes um and you know the the horror the the whole world was starting to uh although in the u.s you know we were we were in the 20s. you know we were just starting the 1920s you know the roaring 20s and all the hmm. you know the speakeasies and everything like that there was a yeah. there were still signs looming um Toward the Great Depression, even at that point, because you were, t- what, what, what were the Roaring Twenties? But they were an attempt to escape from all the darkness caused by yeah um,
0: by, by by the well, first World War, yeah. by
1: the First World War, and then the Spanish Flu on top of it.
0: Oh, excellent point! Excellent so,
1: point! Yeah, the, this was. Very much like um, that, this was their way of of getting out after years. Uh, you know, the, the same way that people went through the, a kind of COVID fatigue. That even people who didn't get COVID were going kind of stir crazy. Yeah, um, and, and I'm one of those rare, one of those lucky people. I've never tested. I've been sick a few times, but never tested yep. positive for it. Um, my, so apparently, my you know, entire, apparently the vaccines yeah.
0: work my entire family got it and let me tell you my wife and i have been uh um, um vaccinated exactly the same number of times mm-hmm. um but you know it's like uh day, you know the day after the uh uh super bowl in 2021 um you know my my kid wakes up with a fever and sure enough uh mm-hmm. cowbell is not the cure um and we yeah. uh we, you know we 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 tested her and she was positive and 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 my older daughter was also positive and then Jem was positive and of course you know they both basically exhibited uh, you know and having been all vaccinated mm-hmm. the requisite number of times at, at that point um they um uh you know they got over it fairly quickly Jan yeah. who, you know, at that point was as boosted as I was. Um, she, um, it kicked her ass for a few days. Uh, me, nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing completely tested positive. I don't know how, uh, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, wow, that's really, really amazing given that that it's like, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, it, uh, six, you know, six, seven months ago, it was like, I would have had to have, uh, uh, lived on a different floor from them <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and uh and you know just uh it really took it really took for me I I, I don't know and it was this is a thing though is, Yeah. it's different there are as many you know there are as many different versions <laughs> of stories as there are stories I mean it, it is just a different yeah way of, of, well, of looking at it in a different way of, you know, you live through something and, um, right. I you mean, know, I've, 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 I've had people I deal with at work who, who are like, ah, it's, you know, this is my third time with it and blah, blah, blah. And, and mm-hmm. I'm like, haven't, I haven't really had to uh, even think about it for, for a good stretch. And, uh, and this yeah. is, but, but it, because things affect Different people in different ways.
1: Well, yeah, my dad uh, and, died from complications uh, of COVID.
0: Uh, um, but my awful. dad,
1: you know, my dad was 89 years old. Right. So yeah, I still. mean it, you know, that that kind of has an effect too. And he was not in very good physical shape for months before that. Right. Um <clears throat> he'd had he'd had issues or al- he'd had health issues already. So yeah. but um it's that same kind of feeling though. So yeah. These move the German Expressionism was capturing the feel of that, and the, the Spanish flu was was uh, also international. It was it, it, it was yeah. yeah no. And so you have you have the world coming out of these two things that you know the, these two major things, and whether they admit it or not, people were thinking about that. Yeah, people. You know, so the, again, the, this German Expressionism. I think what made it fortu- what made it fortuitous for um, for cabinet of Doctor Caligari is that literally these things were all on the world at the time. Yeah, and so they were at least in the subconscious of people who were trying to get away from trying to basically put that all behind them. But this movie was a good way. It kind of goes back into um, to Aristotle, Aristotle's Poetics.
0: Yes, um, thank you. The, yes. the
1: idea, the idea of um, you watch tragedy to promote a big basic flushing of your emotions called a catharsis. Yeah, and you know that that's where the term cathartic effect comes from. Totally. And yeah, and so a cathar in this case, basically this kind of movie also you know it creates that catharsis but interestingly enough it's also arguably the first true horror film and i think that that's another thing is that it, you couldn't have gotten a true horror film before this because you you had to have that much of the world experience the horror, the horror first case uh first you know Roger Ebert um in 2009 wrote um a review of the cabinet of dr caligari it was title, A World Slanted at Sharp Angles. And he wrote this. A case can be made that Caligari was the first true horror film. There had been earlier ghost stories and the eerie serial Phantomas made in 1913-14, to 14, yeah. but their characters were inhabiting a recognizable world. Caligari creates a mindscape, a subjective psychological fantasy. In this world, unspeakable horror becomes possible. That's exactly, I think, what we're seeing here, and we're even seeing, and we see that how it, you know, if you look at it, you can see a lot of different things that it inspired, the the sort of dark, dark and light, and the uh, that they used with it, and
0: kind of inspires yeah. film noir. Um, oh, definitely, a hundred percent, yeah.
1: And movies that the, the uh, I saw a video called dr caligari did more than just event horror movies uh, it's on youtube and <clears throat> they're pointing out that the that fear and loathing in las vegas kind of tries to cap- do the same thing that caligari does only uh, in that it tries to capture the mindset so it's capturing expressionism and that idea of of you know you're supposed to be kind of this is this is what this is what they're experiencing when they're doing this road trip on drugs
0: and this is again, uh, us bringing up, uh, Gilliam once mm-hmm. more. Yes. I, um, I, I am fascinated by the way, the parallels that there are, um, and, uh, you know, probably more just the influences that there are because these are, uh, um, uh, parallel and these are very influential films. And, uh, you know, this one, um, I um, I had never seen this before. I had heard yeah. of it, but had never read it uh, or never seen it. And mm-hmm. um, and so having seen it now, it's like, wow, this is like there's a lot going on here. And mm-hmm. uh, and of course, you know, I I, I can't help but note that um, um, you know Conrad Veidt um who of course influenced the creation of the joker in uh, mm-hmm. the movie the man who laughs uh is here and uh, and he plays a character named Cesar
1: mm-hmm. or i think it's um i've usually heard it pronounced Cesare no oh, okay or, yeah or Cesare
0: okay i can see that but yeah, of course a- apparently uh, it's
1: supposed to be an italian name or something okay i don't know yeah. i don't speak italian so
0: Of course, later we get um, we get a a fella playing. um, Playing the Joker um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, a guy we all know and love. And that is Caesar Romero Romero, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, indeed. I just love the you know, again, these are parallels. They are not necessarily things that happened because of this. But they are things that are just like they—they they are coincidences that are just fascinating.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and then just the imagery that's in there. Um, yeah. Like if you look at uh, the, think of uh, Danny DeVito as the Penguin in Batman Returns. Yeah. Um, th- and think about how he look, how his look is real with that long hair is really similar. To yeah. Doctor Caligari himself, take a look at Johnny oh. Depp as Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, very much, very much Cesare. Oh my gosh, that's and, crazy! You know, this this is what inspired a lot of uh, a lot of looks for goth uh, for goth kids. So like the a lot mm-hmm. of goth kids can thank thank this movie because apparently this was <laughs> a lot of the um, inspiration for and it.
0: It's also a huge influence on uh on Tim Burton like, right. like you know again just sort of these these really big contrasts which was one of his things um mm-hmm. and and uh, and yeah just just sort of dealing with that that different uh that different perspective on things you yeah. know this idea well, of um you know of of um you know, of, of Caligari mm-hmm. being an influence on, on so much.
1: Oh yeah. Cinema. I mean, Cal- Caligari, uh, the, just look at the sets. Okay. The sets, there are different stories as to why, as to why the sets look, look the way they do. I mean, you know, they're, they're Cubist, they're, they're basically, somebody did sort of Cubist style paintings, on canvas for the sets, and uh, yeah. obviously, I mean, this was this was probably partially a cost-saving measure, but at the same time, this is you know, it's very clear that that's intentional because we've seen we've gone all the way back to um, eighteen you know, 1896, 1898, yeah eighteen ninety six eighteen ninety eight where whatever the year that was eighteen ninety eight we've gone all the way back to before nineteen hundred and watched a film where the set was obviously more realistic looking than anything we see in *Cabinet of Doctor Caligari*. But that's part of it. That's yeah. part of it. Um, and you talk about Burton. Burton's inspirations. Think about Batman and Batman Returns and all, basically the monolithic look of the buildings. Yes. More expressionism. Probably drawing from uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis in that case.
0: I, I or, felt that. I felt that at the time. That it was yeah. very, you know, because we had just seen the, um, and, and, you know, just for lack of a better phrase, like that restoration of metropolis where we had now we had the music of queen, uh, taking us through mm-hmm. it. Right. And, yeah. um, and, and it, it, made me think very much of that. Like that's sort of the, uh, we're going to take something that is, uh, considered a very, um, a rudimentary, uh, sort of a uh, yeah this is the basics you know uh, i don't need to get too into it uh you you deal with it um y- you know and and uh, mm-hmm. and kind of sending uh <laughs> sending sort of an emotional proxy through it um yeah. but but when you got down to it it was still this one thing and mm-hmm. um and and we had boxes that we could fit certain words into at one point, though, that the, now we fit, we fit them in different ways.
1: Exactly. And this is, I mean, the, the whole nature of what, of what Cal, the, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari inspired is that it, it, it's really once you've seen the movie and then you start looking at some of the other, some of the other movies out there that have come since, you can kind of see the tendrils of it. Yeah. Um, there are, I think there are music videos that have that look. Take a look. at uh, Okay. For those of us who know who Sven is, there's a certain amount of his look that's sort of Caligari-esque. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The long hair, the top hat. Um, so a lot of this, it's just really, real. Uh, yeah. And it's really pervasive um, yeah. is the best word. And, Subversive in its own way because it's secretly under there to because of these notions then subvert have ever since then sort of they've subverted our the way we view film they've they've changed the way we we view film yeah they've twisted yeah. it around um if it had not been if they if films had stuck to straightforward storytelling a la some of the earlier silent films that we watched then i don't think we could We'd have we would have been able to produce the kind of works that we see now. You know, e- even things like Metropolis, where you're moving away from you're moving away from a straightforward story and, and layering it, or films like um, what are those films? Uh, I think Inception or Shutter Island. Those um, are good
0: examples. I mean, I, I yeah. think this is that on a more rudimentary la- uh, exactly. Uh, level. Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's what I mean. Though, is without this, we couldn't have, we wouldn't have had this um, to build on to create movies like Inception yes. and Shutter Island, or um, even in some respects, uh, Kubrick's version of The Shining. Yeah, which is very different. You know, it's very, it's it, there are significant deviations from the book. But if you look at it in its general nature, again, that you've got an ambiguous ending this time. Of what's the, you know, why, why is Jack Torrance suddenly in this picture taken from the twenties and you know, the, the whole nature there, there's apparently at least one theory that he was actually a reincarnation of the original caretaker. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so looking at some of these stories and this, well, is this the way it plays out or isn't it? Those are great for having that, you know, and the plot twist endings, um, Brazil, Brazil, where we have this whole vision, this entirely absurd vision of Jonathan Price getting rescued um, from be, from his torture chamber, and you know from being uh, about to be tortured, and then we discover, you know, snap moment, nope, he died. Yeah, and it just, you know, that the it's those things those. <clears throat> those moments where, Oh, twilight. Here's a good example. Okay. I don't think we could have gotten what happened in twilight. Um, breaking dawn. Yeah. Um, the ending of breaking dawn in the book, um, yeah. in the book, apparently it's just, uh, the one, the one Voltari touches the, the pre the girl with the precog and, and just steps away and says, okay, we're not going to fight. Right. But, you watch the movie. You watch the movie. You know, and it's like, oh, great. You know, this is going to be a disappointing end. But then suddenly they break into a fight, and all this stuff happens, and then snap. The twist ending is that none of it actually happened. Is it literally right. that was just what the what the guy was seeing? Right. And it's it's those things, those twist endings, that I think the, this really kind of started the inspiration of
0: yeah it, 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 you know it is fascinating how influential it is and it is it is fascinating to watch it and think like, oh, they were doing this stuff then mm-hmm. Uh yeah. yeah, just just blown away by it um uh, yeah, and-, and and as I said, like like you know, unlike a lot of the things where if I hadn't seen the actual movie, I had seen things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this, uh, I mean, I guess I'd seen things with it along those lines, but hadn't, I hadn't yet drawn those lines to it, but, but you could feel the, um, the sort of the reverberations of its influence and, um, and yeah, so this, this one fascinated me. It was a, a, a great, uh, a great pick for the list and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and cause at first I was kind of like. How does this fit in this, into the theme, and the, and where it fits in is just in narrative style. Mm-hmm. Um, it also you know, the, there's still some of the basics, but but oh, there's yeah. a lot more about uh, about how this influenced the narrative style that we would come to appreciate from all, from all this stuff.
1: Absolutely, and this in, um, another thing that's influenced uh, that that this made people more aware of are those kind of um, well, have you ever read the book I Am Legend? Yep. Okay, then you know the the twist ending is that the the guy we've been following the whole time, the one who is the star of the Omega Man yeah. or you know or Will Smith the Will Smith version of the movie to discover the twist is oh, we don't know uh, the twist is oh, they they're actually not bad guys after all.
0: Yeah. You
1: know? Um or you know if you want to talk about unreliable narrators, look at um Oh I just had it. Well Logan's Run is one is one example that I can yeah. think of right off the bat because you're talking about you know because if you're watching everything through through the viewpoint of Logan who whose viewpoint changes uh through the movie. Yeah. And so that that kind of oh wait, you know this happened maybe this way. So it's all there's a lot to con, to consider about this film that's just amazing and you don't And it creeps, it kind of creeps up on you, as as in what what all's in that sort of zeitgeist, and it starts sticking in your head. At least for me, the first time I watched this was about ten years ago, and after watching it, even the first time, I knew the ending because I'd read a a book about it. But watching the actual ending and watching that twist, it really, you know, it really kind of sticks in your head and it keeps you kind of thinking and he keep, kind of keep going over it almost like having a almost like having a Seti alpha eel stuck in your head almost like that almost like that and speaking of, of that Seti alpha eel you know that notorious little little bugger from star trek 2 that wouldn't that wouldn't yeah. leave chekov and Do- and captain Terrell alone what's been stuck in your head lately paul well,
0: well you know the big thing that's been <laughs> stuck in my head is um in the interest of as Jan and I drive into work, not listening to news based stuff as, um, I sometimes do. And, uh, to probably do with having a little less of that. Um, and Jan wants nothing to do with any of it. Um, we've, uh, started leading back to, um, and this is something you won't have heard of, but I think you would quite enjoy. Um, is uh, there's a thing on on CBC Radio here uh, called the Vinyl Cafe, Ooh. and it was done by a guy named Stuart McLean, who was a um, a storyteller of of some renown in this country, and um, and he developed these characters based on you know people he knew as he grew up and um, and could find ways to make any story a story about them. And, um, uh, sadly he, he passed away several years ago, um, uh, of, uh, of, a, a nasty cancer strain. Mm. Um, but, um, we're lucky that we still have, you, you know, there's, there's these great ones about like, you know, he, he had this main character, Dave. Who and we called it. The, it was called the Vinyl Cafe. Dave ran a record store um, called uh, the Vinyl Cafe, and uh, so all these stories were about Dave and his family, and his and the people who lived in his town and his neighbors, and uh, and and so what he would do is he would tour around the country and uh you know find a location and he would uh basically develop uh just some stories about the location that he was in and then he would get into uh here's a a a story about dave and uh and and you know one of the ones he, he does is like where you know dave makes the turkey and uh it is must listening over the holidays um around here at least and um and you say it's called The Vinyl Cafe. The vinyl cafe. And so there's a there's a podcast, and that's actually what I'm kind of getting to. Is mm-hmm. there was a podcast uh that they did of um of the uh, uh of the original series. Now he um uh died in 2017 um at the age of 68. Mm-hmm. And the guy could tell a story like nobody's business, and um so recently, one of his like his producer over the last several years of the show before he passed, um, she's been doing a show behind the scenes at the Vinyl Cafe. And so they'll run uh-huh. two episodes and give some of the background stories. Um, I, I recommend listening to that. I also recommend going to the original um Uh, vinyl cafe uh, feed because they have also started adding the original like original shows on there where he has like the little preamble about like here we are in Point Pelee and I'm loving this town and here's what I've learned over the last week of being here and then would get into the stories and I love that those sort of the travelogue part of it has been left in Uh, but he is a fascinating TV, uh, or a, a storyteller. And it was some, someone that, that when Jan and I first met that we kind of bonded over that we were big fans of, of, of Stuart. And, um, and so, you know, one of our big routines was we would listen every Sunday morning. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so in the interest of making things you know, her her job can be quite stressful at times. And so I like to have stuff where it's like I'm leaving you with positivity as I, you know. So as we drive into work and I drop her off at her office, it's like we've 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 started the day with some positivity and uh, and no chance of that being marred because we know the direction he takes and um, and it's been delightful uh, to revisit uh you know mm-hmm. after after these years and uh and yeah i think you'd like the hell out of it because it's just interesting storytelling and it, you know to give it a point of comparison like a uh uh what was the um <clears throat> oh god um you know kind of the homespun uh prairie companion type stuff. Oh a
1: prairie home companion
0: yeah i i'd say that's possibly the uh the easiest and, and which means not necessarily the best, but certainly the easiest, uh, comparison. Um, uh, Spalding gray is another, mm-hmm. uh, easy match as well. Um, uh, that, but that's to say like this guy's a total original as, as were they. And, um, and I think you would, uh, I think you would quite enjoy it because I know you like a story spun in a, in an interesting way.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, speaking of stories spun in an interesting way, here's my uh my eel. At first yeah. I was thinking it was Star Trek, but it's really it's another podcast. It's called The Amelia Project. Okay. Uh, Amelia like reference to Amelia Earhart. See, um recently I subscribed to um there's a podcast network called the Fable and Folly Network. Okay. Uh, they do a lot of different podcasts, and they have <clears throat> some. Uh, a lot of them are uh, act the, as they're called actual play podcasts, where they're doing like Dungeons and Dragons, where they're literally recording Dungeons and dragons as they do it. There's a uh, I think it's on Critical Role or something, where they do this, um, where they actually act it out. Okay. Um, where they get voice actors to play play D&D, and they're literally acting the story out. But uh, the Amelia Project is one of those that I came across on on the Fable and Folly Network, and I subscribed to their Fable and Folly Plus to get all of it. Yes. Because it's really cool. The Amelia Project is about a group of people who specialize in faking your death and setting you up with a new identity. Wow. And it is a wild ride so far. And I'm, I think there are five, maybe five seasons total so far. And I'm listening to, I am currently on, which season am I on? Am I on three or four? Just getting, just getting into the end of season four. Which came out uh, came out last year. I mean, literally a year and a half ago. This one, this uh, particular episode's dated January twenty eighth of twenty twenty two. The most recent episode um, just came out on the 9th. So, wow. Yeah, there are there are a lot of different uh, a lot of fun podcasts on there. Though I mean, um, the. I have boatloads of these where they're the the ones I particularly like are the ones that are basically like old time radio programs in their own yeah. way, you know, special effects, um, maybe a little bit of improv in it. Uh, another one that's kind of funny and weird is uh civilized. So that, that's, that's what stuck in, but sticks in my ear lately. And I'll tell you what it is. Um, I recommend going out if you like old-fashioned radio drama type stuff. Go start with Fable and Folly. Yeah, Um, Fableandfolly.com and go from there because they have a lot of podcasts. If you like, if you like something that's a little bit more improv and ad libbing, they have they have some podcasts that do um, you know, those actual play podcasts are good for that but then you you know they've also got some of the more traditional fully scripted shows. Yeah. Nice. So that's what's been sticking in my head.
0: Well, that's perfect.
1: All right, but now start now for all of you uh following us you want to if you want to know what to stick in your head next, watch for Nosferatu. Yes.
0: I've we're, heard we're, of it. I've heard of we it. are
1: swinging around we're swinging around to the classic story of count orlok which again yeah you know, we're we're still on a little bit of a tangent from exactly science fiction but we're coming back around and there's a tie there's kind of a tie in between this and the mo- and the movie yeah. after that so
0: very nice the story you've just seen was true the names were changed to protect the innocent on september 14th trial was held in department 98 superior court of the state of california in and for the county of los angeles in a moment the results of that trial the suspect was tried and convicted of emailing the show at watch this space mail at gmail.com